Welcome to the Inside Data Center podcast. I'm Andy Davis, and in this podcast, I will interview the people working in the data center sector and tell their stories. If you are working in the DC sector or you are looking to work in the sector, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to the Inside Data Center podcast. Today, I'm joined by Andrew Stevens, President and CEO at CNET Training. Morning, Andrew. Good morning, Andy. How are you? Good. I'm well on this sunny, frosty Friday morning in, in the UK. Um, nice to have Indeed. a bit of sunshine. <laughs> yes, it's lovely. Yes, it's, it's uh, yeah, very, uh, very pleasant out there today. Long may it last. Exactly. Um, thanks for coming on today. Obviously, quite a lot of topics we can cover. Looking forward to discussing your career, CNET training and the great work you do within the sector. And also take a look at Digital Futures Programme that I covered um, before Christmas. And I know you had quite a key involvement in, in getting that off the ground. So keen to sort of discuss your learnings from that and, and why it's so important to the sector. Before we start, do you just want to introduce yourself for those that don't know who you are? Just kind of a brief intro, who you are and what you do. Okay, yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, so my name's Andrew Stevens. Um, I'm the CEO of CNET Training. Uh, we've been in business for the past 25 years, and we see our role in the industry as to really provide education to the industry, um, but driven by the industry. We want the industry to create its content and guide us, um, and then we'll provide that education. Um, it's not about just giving out certificates or anything like that. It is providing education to everybody that, that wants it. And also to create a legacy, try to help the industry to professionalize itself um, and start to look at the big issues um, because we as an industry look at things in a very, very short term way. And skills crisis, which we'll come on to, you know, that's going to take 10 to 15 years to fix, um, not 15 months. No, exactly. Um, and it's one of those, again, that there's so many different facets to it that we can all help in our own, in our own little way. I always like to go back to the beginning of your career. Um, I did a little bit of LinkedIn stalking. I noticed you started your career in sales, um, but just kind of interested in how you progressed your career and how you ended up actually starting CNET training and obviously when that first led you towards the data centre sector. Um, well, I, like many people, fell into the industry. Um, I, and, 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 but the roots in where we are today do start from when I left school. So I left school at 16. Um, I didn't do A-levels. Um, I wasn't clever enough back in the day then because it was a bit elitist rather than that. So I went to an FE college to do a national diploma, um, which, which was great. Um, I left there, went on to university um, and absolutely hated university. 13 hours of lectures with too much spare time, just didn't enjoy it. So I, I left there after the first year. Um, went back home and probably, you know, I'm 52, so you can imagine what the landscape was with parenting at that point. My mum and dad were like, well, it's a job or out. Um, there wasn't any options. And I've been working in the summer holidays in a, in a seed factory, cleaning, you know, seeds for in the harvest time. And uh, the chap that ran that business said to me, yeah, you can stay here as long as you like. You know, it doesn't really matter. But, you know, you're not staying here because, you know, it's not right for you and you do something else. So um, he invited me round for dinner on a Sunday evening um, and I'd met his partner, I'd never met her before, um, and uh, he sacked me there and then on the table and said, you're starting to work for Julie tomorrow morning at a, at a, a distribution and manufacturing business in the network infrastructure industry. Um, I had no clue. I literally, you know, was sort of a bit shell-shocked, started working as the junior sales um, T-boy um, and that's how I started and then I progressed my way through through that business um, and then that ultimately led me to to, to CNET 
Um, we were a business that was manufacturing and installing network infrastructure, well, manufacturing and, and distributing network infrastructure products. Um, and that came through the time when we moved towards what we call today structured cabling. And the biggest frustration was that we were selling these products and they were good quality products, but the phones just kept on ringing and saying, it doesn't work. You've sold me something that's dodgy. And that story just resonated with me so much that it was never the product. It was always the installation. And so that's what led me down the path of, of, of you know, joining CNA and, and being part of the whole development of it um, because the industry needed to professionalize itself. Back in the day then, it thought it was only going to be around for five years. I mean, some of the conversations I had with people back then, it was a case of, oh, we'll put it in and it will last forever. Well, if you know anything about the network infrastructure industry, which is obviously my roots, um, it doesn't last forever. It's continually evolving. It's changing. There's refits, refurbs, product changes, and, and so on. So, you know, I always look back very fondly of those days and thinking, you know, and I won't embarrass any of my, you know, my colleagues who are still in the industry, but they've done pretty well out of it, considering it was only going to be around for a couple of years, according to them. And uh, and then in 2005, it was another change for, for the business because I was in Dubai um, with some, some customers and it was the first time at a network event that really the only conversation was these things called data centers. Um, and it really started to, to happen and talk about them. And people were talking about them in excited tones in different ways and they were smart and of course, I have a slightly basic view of these things. I'm just sort of, well, it's surely it's just a big computer room. And people will shout me down and argue and, and say it's different and all those sort of things. But, you know, it's for, for Joe Public, that's how you've got to explain it to people in, in real terms. So that's where it started. So we then created a data center design course um, and started to push that out to the marketplace. And the rest, as they say, is history. We've developed a whole portfolio of programs um, in, in conjunction um, with our customers on a, on a global scale. Um, and it's been fantastic. But we still do the network cabling. We're still doing the routes. And I still believe that, you know, I've never seen a data center yet without cabling. So everything comes comes together. And that's why our framework, in my opinion, is is great because it allows people to come into the industry whichever level they're comfortable and competent to do so and it is for me about if you can do it you can do it so we shouldn't put barriers in, in way of people and, and and there are many many barriers in this industry that are false barriers that don't need to be there in terms of career progression and, and coming into the industry oh, excellent and some great points there I'm quite interested in the way that you say about messaging the data center sector and you know it kind of dumbing it down for want of a better phrase. And I think that is really important to attract people to the sector. And I always say this to clients and organizations that we talk to that, and I'm talking about entry level people, you know, if you're a 16 year old, you don't need the technical, the technical details. And you, you just want to know what it does and what impact it has and how you can impact that sector. So I think that messaging, and like you said, and you've obviously discovered that over your time as well is really important for the sector. One point I wanted to sort of touch on is um, how training has changed from a perception perspective. You know, in my opinion, now it's more important than ever to organisations. And you know, so it's training and education. But have you seen that over your your period within the data centre sector that organisations now put a much greater focus on it than they did, say, five to ten years ago? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it has done. I mean, you know, sort of, you know, ten years ago, it was a nice to have from a few people. Five years ago, 
was starting to become a little bit more mainstream. And now we're heading into an area where it's not expected yet, but the but people working with the industry are expected to be supported. Um, you know, one of the interesting things about training in, in, in general and education is that there are certain industries that have regulation. Therefore, you have to go through some kind of program to achieve a level and get your, your license to practice or, or work. Um, we have very little of that regulation within our industry, yet we're extremely critical. So that has um, always been a negative. Now, I'm not saying we should have regulation necessarily, but organisations that promote that they are going to give you, you know, five nines and, and this and that and everything else. You know, we all know human error is the main cause um, and it has all sorts of impacts across, across the business. If you don't invest in your people, they're going to be the same as they were yesterday, you know, and, and, and it's all very well saying, oh, you know, we should send people on training courses. That's part of it. Investing in the people, giving them the time to self-study, giving them time to workshops and group stuff and, and just develop is really, really important. You know, we don't here at CNET say that we solve all of the problems. I mean, we have a number of partnerships with, with companies and I say to them always, you know, we can only do this bit. You've got to do the mentoring, the coaching, the identification and some other development because developing people is not about just giving them technical skills. It's about giving them the ability to apply them, the confidence to use them and that. So, so it is important. And I think lots of companies are moving in that direction now. But I think there are lots of companies that are still seeing it as a cost, just the cost, you know, and, and that's driven, I think, by mergers and acquisitions. You know, if you're going into, you know, that phase, you might want to hold some stuff on your bottom line and, and that kind of thing. And I think there's some immaturity still across the whole organization, uh, across the industry in, in that area. Um, and we should look at other industries and see what they do, because we seem to have this ability in this industry to assume that we're developing everything for the first time. And this is all completely new. And, you know, if you run, you know, a nuclear reactor, um, I bet there's some pretty strong practices in that environment um, and there's some pretty stringent training that goes on, but we don't really want to look at those, do we? Because that might tell us something we've got to go and actually do. Um, and, and also, I think within this industry, there is an element of, oh, my competitor is doing that, so I must do something different rather than actually say that is best practice, I'm going to do that as well. Yeah, and that'll bring us on nicely in a minute to the collaborative approach of the Digital Futures Programme. But one last point just on, on education. What, what I've found in, in my career and across multiple sectors is that people push sort of training and education at a level. And then when you get to a certain point in your career, say a fairly a mid-management type level, it kind of you kind of get left behind, don't you? The, the training and education is given to the, the, you know, the entry level and people to push them on in their careers. But there's that group of people in the middle and senior level where there's even not the education available or their organisation kind of just thinks, well, they've learned it all now, so they, they don't really need to develop anymore. Are you finding that, I know you offer training at that level, but are you finding more people at those levels are coming to you for that education now? Yes, yes, we are. We are seeing more senior people um, come to us now. Um, obviously, the most senior tend to be doing the sort of uh, the master's degree. Um, 
which was you know created in order to, uh, to you know facilitate that but also to show that you know there is a full stack um, of 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 programs but the middle management to senior management element there is two there's two sides to it you quite often see people promoted into those areas and they're desperate to go and gain the knowledge because they're new into the field then you get those that have been in place for a while um saying well i've been in place for a while I clearly don't need any kind of educational training. Now, you know, I think if you read anything about, you know, personal development or business development, you know, we all need to learn something every day. Um, and so, you know, people should be developing, there should be internal development management programs for people because it's amazing you find the skills that you find the people that have got that they use outside of their working environment but aren't encouraged to bring it into their working environment. You know, sports coaches and all these sorts of things. It's There's not enough of that that is, is used and looked at. It is a case, as I think you're indicating, you're put in place, you're expected to do the job, now get on with it, and that's what we pay you for. I mean, I've heard that so many times. That's what we pay you for. It's like, right, well, you surely pay me to get better every day, but that's another thing. No, exactly. And it's like the, I always use the example of the, the shift engineer that becomes a shift leader or, or a shift supervisor without any training or development in management. And you think, well, it's no, no wonder that there's a huge shortage of people at that level, because I'm sure a lot of the people that have been pushed into it have not enjoyed it or, you know, de- are, are deemed to have failed and have then stepped back to an engineer level, quite rightly, to be honest. Absolutely. And and I think, you know, to your, to your, your point, I mean, I always laugh at, you know, project management as a as a thing you know now this is this is unfair to, to many because there are many fantastic project managers out there but those project managers will not be the ones that you typically identify with because in my experience over the years it's the individual that shouts the loudest on site sometimes becomes the project manager not the calm considered organized individual that has negotiation skills you know in at, at their core and is able to work amongst clients and different levels and and make everything run and and keep in mind the target which is on budget on time working um yeah. you know and work to that and so that's always interesting i think people it's easy oh we need someone to shout at everyone so we'll promote them as a project manager you know but it doesn't really work and then when they come on one of our programs for example we talk about you know could you create a quality plan please and they're like what well, what's a quality plan but right okay we you know we better go back and start then so it's good it's, it's okay no definitely and that we won't talk about it because we would talk about it forever but that goes back to one of the key points again that i try and highlight and raise is about recruiting for attributes rather than experience and skills you know don't don't just look for the skills and experience and look at those attributes what's important in the role of a project manager for example and where can you go and get those from if you can't find them in the data center sector which we all know is very difficult because there aren't many i think you're right i think one of the biggest challenges is you know, role profiles and the creation of those and things. Um, you know, I look around at data center technician roles is one of the obvious ones, you know, and people have just cut and pasted something else. And I read it and think, that's not really the role that you're looking for, but it's because you're under pressure and the HR and talent recruitment teams are just bang, 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 bang. And it is about, you know, who do you want? You know, really, what do you want here? What do you want them to be able to do? And I, I, I 100% agree with you. It's, it's about, you know, finding what you've got, what you need, and finding those people and investing those people, and they will deliver for you. No, definitely. It's not a, a one-shot, one-stop fits all, I think. And that's uh, the industry yeah. is definitely going that way, and recruitment is going that way as a whole, yeah. 100%, because a lot of the great talent people I work with and talk to are now looking at it. It's just trying to get everyone, I guess, to see from that 
that viewpoint yeah. really. And I, I mean, I look at I look at my own business. You know, I don't want to bring people into my own business that have been at a training business that is the same as this, for example. You know, I'm keen to bring people in with different skills, different experiences, which can then add to it. You know, we don't bring them in here and then say, oh, please don't talk about your previous roles. This We're brilliant. We bring them in and say, if you can improve one thing, then please improve it and we'll back you. Uh, definitely. And obviously, that brings us on to Digital Futures. And I, I did a podcast before Christmas, seems like ages ago, with, with some of the team that are involved in it from the, from the education perspective. But I know you were quite a driving force behind it. So I just wanted to touch on that with you about, you know, kind of what it is and why it is so important. But where did the original idea come from? And how did you and the team sort of take it from that idea to a reality, which is probably very difficult um well where it came from was um i i became and and still am uh, a trustee of the edge foundation and the edge foundation is a charity that was formed by uh were chaired by lord baker um and lord baker is a massive supporter of vocational education um and he's an extremely passionate individual and he was also uh, the chairman of, and still is, the Baker Deering Trust, which the Baker Deering Trust is responsible for the university technical college movement. They they created the whole principle of it. And obviously, working closely with Lord Baker, I got very close to understanding UTCs and, and, and what they were and what made them different and, and everything. And, and I was convinced uh, on a personal level that they were brilliant. I mean, they're not perfect for everything, and they're not, but they are brilliant. And they, they, they struck a chord with me because of their focus on a number of key topics or subject areas in the local community that they support. You know, I've worked a lot with FE colleges in general over my 25 years, and one of the biggest challenges that they have is supporting everything across the whole community um, and then chasing whatever government policy might be. And that doesn't always actually match up, for example, to, um, you know, to what the industries and everything need. So so, so that's how I was introduced to UTCs. Um, and then about five years ago, Lord Baker and I um, approached one of the uh, colo providers and um, wanted to sort of get an anchor tenant, if you like, and get a support of one of them to then drive forward the idea of building a uh, UTC in Slough. That was the, the, the original idea. At the time, the government was still funding new builds and, and, and these kind of things. So, so that was the thing. So we went to one of these, these organisations, um, talked to them, loved the idea, thought it was absolutely brilliant. But they then said, but we're only going to do it if we're on our own. We're not doing it with any partners. And, you know, that fundamentally is not what UTCs are, are all about. So that I tried to persuade them differently over a couple of years and they weren't having any of it. So, so you know, they did some own stuff and, and, and they, they, they supported a, a UTC elsewhere and, and did a few things. So that was where it was. But I was, I was determined um, to, to get this off the ground. And I'd spoken to a number of other providers and DC operators and things and they all liked the idea but their biggest concern always was how much work is this going to be you know is this too much and they're all busy doing what they need to do so it was it was it was being supported on really small individual levels by organizations and saying oh we could do a bit we could do this and so it it just became clear to me that I needed sort of one more shot at this and and almost to see if I could just uh, do it and and it became clear to me also that there was an element of 
CNET training fronting this, me going to see the people, what's in it for CNET? What are they going to sell to us? Because the view of UTC, training company, education, there must be an angle. And that was what, you know certainly what I was sensing. So, so basically what I did was I approached Emma Fryer at Tech UK, told her the similar story that we've got here. Um, at the same time, Mike Halliday and I from Baker Deering had been talking and I was sort of saying to him, you know, I think there's a, you know, I think I can have one more go at this for us all. Um, and he then popped up and said, well, actually, because of the pandemic, Heathrow, aviation, the UTC there has been hit badly, badly, badly. They would consider to be repurposed to a data center one. So to a certain extent, the pandemic and, and, and that was a perfect storm. So Emma kindly agreed to be sort of the front of it. And obviously with Emma fronting it, it was accepted for what it was, you know, absolutely straight there and then. So we started a number of conversations um, and then Mike and I were just talking to everybody one of the things that was clear was that we broke down the presentation about, about the UTC into simple, simple terms in as much as it's this much time. We almost started, it's going to cost you this much money, and this is how much time it's going to be. And that was always the two questions that were asked. Um, money obviously wasn't actually an issue for any organizations. It, it was time. So so we did. We, we got it together. We got partners to agree. Um and we've, you know, and, and then we got it going pretty quickly. Uh, Mike and the team at the UTC, you know, have done a brilliant job in keeping the momentum going. It's great for me to start it and get everyone together and put the names and with assistance of Emma. But of course, the success comes when it now starts to happen and the partners have got to get there because, you know, partner fade or, you know, that kind of thing is, is, is a danger with these projects. But it's, it's exciting and I'm thrilled now that we've actually got some collaboration from 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 people and um, and some of the feedback I've had from the partners is in how much they're enjoying working with the UTC and, and obviously in particular you know the, the kids that are there um, and it's I think it's starting to everyone feels they're giving a bit back for once because we're pretty sterile in our industry you know we don't really see our end customers and they don't tap us on the back and say oh great job you're doing you know well done but this is a this is a you know a good way to to recognize what we can do for for other people yeah i think it's it's an amazing program and well done to you and the others for, for getting off the ground and and i agree i think it's great to see an actual impact and and for these young people to get that opportunity because the opportunity is what a lot of people need, isn't it? They just they just don't get it. Um, one point I wanted to touch on was the collaboration because I know how hard it is to get people to collaborate in this sector. So was it was it easy or was it actually a bit of a challenge to get these people in a room and say, look, you need to do this together in order to, to achieve the best results? Um, no, I mean, with, with Emma's help, um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't difficult because it, it wasn't it was sort of difficult because there's a reluctance from people. There wasn't there wasn't this negativity about we won't work with anybody if they're in the room. We didn't have that this time, um, but there was just a sort of a slight nervousness about you know what are we going to be asked to share, um, and so we had to sort of just cover off those areas. And I think the advantage was we had senior people that were making some decisions. You know, we weren't trying to go through junior HR or, or learning and development and push up. You know, we'd gone straight in at the top of people that would make the decisions. And also we picked on some people that we knew from our experience 
really wanted to actually do something. Um, you know, there are some of the organisations out there that, you know, as with any sector, so it's not a criticism, who just talk about it, who, who put a good thing on there. But we had some partners that we'd, we were working with in terms of training and things, and we knew that they would they would deliver on it. So, so the collaboration um, has now been quite entertaining. Um, it's quite good to see what they're doing. We had one little event recently, and, you know, you've got teams of, of kids and then you've got one of the partners and another partner, you know, and you can see the competitiveness come through. You know, this is about you know, something different, and it's almost a – it just breaks down some barriers and I think it'll have a positive impact on other areas of the industry because we cannot solve this skills crisis without collaboration. You know, we, 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 we see these things, you know, Microsoft will do something, Google will do something, Facebook will do something, but largely they're all internal initiatives, you know, one brand and, and certainly, you know, to solve the problem and to get our industry out there so people know what it is, know what the careers really are in there, and they're not all technical, you know, they're not all technical careers. And we always end up in that conversation about, oh, well, I'm not technical. Well, you know, probably half the people in the data center industry are not technical. Um, but it's an industry that if you want to be, you know, an accountant in, you're probably going to be pretty secure for a long while. And it would probably be, you know, exciting. So oh, that's one of the things I think is, is, is important that we give people the opportunity. Um, technical skills in this country have been massively underinvested in. They haven't been promoted, and that's a problem of a macro scale. But as an industry, um, we almost need to partner with other industries as well. So we've got to sort of, you know, we don't really have a trade body that's effective in that space, that, you know, other than Emma. But, of course, not everyone feels that Tech UK, they are part of Tech UK because it doesn't have the word data centre written on the front of it. So, so we've got to really look at the long-term, you know, long-term future of our industry and realise that we've got to do some quite boring, mundane stuff to set up the pipelines, the industry representation, and have a goal that we've got to be able to talk to the education department, you know, DFE, and saying to them, no, no, we really want technical skills to be embedded in the curriculum and T-levels and apprenticeships. Because in my experience, most people don't know now what the current education system in the UK looks like. And how can you plan your business in recruiting people if you have no idea what the pathways into work are? No, I totally agree with that point. And I think the, the lack of synergy between sort of business and education is, is, is getting bigger rather than getting closer together. Um, I always always revert back, you know, I'm 43, I think. I always forget how old I am, early 40s. And when I was at, when I was at school, it was, you know, computers were the new thing. It was like everyone needs to work in IT and everyone needs to, and that was had a big impact again on engineering and like in that period. And then when you fast, you, you go forward 10 years and, and post a recession, they then start pushing engineering again because the government's investing in infrastructure. It's about having more of a, I guess, a managed approach to it, isn't it? And, and ensuring, and like you say, again, like exposing everyone to all the opportunities that are available rather than highlighting a certain type of opportunity like you say technical engineering data centers that's not the only opportunity or you know whatever sector it is there's so many different roles but it's trying to highlight that and it is hard because there is so many opportunities but it, there's a lot more we can do that's for sure definitely and i think i think the the thing is that organizations have got to understand you know the educational pathways i mean if you take the utc as a good example you know at 18 when they leave the utc they have some choices to make and that can be university, 
It can be employment. It can be an apprenticeship. It can be a degree apprenticeship. But our industry has got to provide those opportunities for our students to take that. I mean, if you know, company XYZ doesn't have a graduate scheme, well, what's the point of the graduates? You know, you, you want them early because the investment that we're making in the UTC, for, for example, is potentially 150 students leaving every year with a very good understanding of our industry. They, they don't all want just necessarily a job or some of them need further stuff. You know, they need an apprenticeship, a degree apprenticeship. They might want to go to university, but are you sponsoring them to go to university? What is this? And we have to put those plans and those pathways in place because we're going to have them coming out in two and a half years, <laughs> the first lot. So, you know, it doesn't take, well, two years. So it doesn't take long for that to happen. And I don't see in this, I don't see companies having, let's say, a chief education officer that understands the, the landscape, builds their HR and their talent and briefs people on an apprentice can be any age. We can use apprenticeships throughout and a good apprenticeship is brilliant for the individual and for the business. Um, and so, you know, it's about what does an apprenticeship look like? What do T-levels look like now? You know, people need to understand what T-levels are because most people don't. And, and that was a challenge with the UTC, of course, as well, because, you know, there's 40 odd UTCs in the UK. Hardly anybody that we know know what they do and what they are. No, exactly. And to be honest, you know, I wasn't 100% what they were until I, um, till this was announced. And then I looked into mm. it and researched it and then obviously had the discussion with some of the people involved. And, and I'm probably one of those people, you know, I've got three young children that should know what they are because I'm the type, you know, I'm a parent that will want to, push my career my children in the right career direction so yeah, yeah, it's definitely yeah. definitely need to expose it and I think yeah. another point I always make about apprentices before we move on is that a lot, I'm in a privileged position where I talk to a lot of people in, in senior level roles in this sector and people on this podcast and the amount of them that came through the apprenticeship route yeah, is absolutely. significantly higher than people who came through a degree and if they do have a degree they did exactly like you just said they're sponsored by their employer to take yeah. that degree while they're working and and i regularly ask them about the you know the benefits of learning on the job rather than learning in the classroom yeah. so yeah the, the the examples are there aren't they for everyone but they are and one thing i found and this is a bit of a generalization when i talk to people that have got a degree and i talk to people that have come through the apprenticeship level and let's say they're at the same level now in senior management those that follow the apprenticeship path are prouder of their pathway, of their history, than those that have done a degree. And I, and I see that very, very frequently. And I also think that, again, I, I, we, we could chat forever, but um, it gives you that broad experience, doesn't it? And when I ask people on every episode, you know, what's your top tip to, you know, for people looking to join the sector, I would say probably 50% of people say about get broad exposure to the industry uh, you know, in the start of your career, learn about the operational, the design, the build, the support function, so that you understand the whole sector rather than being, you know, pigeonholed as an engineer, so to speak. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I fully agree. You know, I mean, I think it's you know good for any business. I mean, you know, we, we train, you know, a number of technicians and things. And one of the comments we sometimes get from them is, I don't do that. It's like, well, you might not do it, but you should understand it because everything has a link to everything else. So, you know, you need to understand what you're doing and what it will mean. So, yeah, I, I think a broad approach. And, you know, in this portfolio career, um, you know, lifestyle that we live in, you know, 
people want to have a change as well. They want to do different things. And, and, uh, and I think that should be, you know, the way to look at it. So you're right, you know, a broad understanding of the whole industry is absolutely required. And, you know, I've got three children and, you know, one of mine is a vet. Now, she spent seven years, yeah, seven years. Um, you can imagine the student debt that she's got. Whereas, you know, my, my youngest, I'm like saying, really, let's, let's find an apprenticeship pathway. I mean, they're equally bright, but, you know, do something where you can actually try it out and, and learn more. So, you know, I think it's important. Uh, definitely. And to move us on from that, obviously, I just wanted to look at the future of, you know, obviously CNET and, and also the sector. But what's next for CNET training? Have you got any uh, kind of plans to evolve what you're doing or, you know, how do you see the future of training progressing? Well, I think I think that the pandemic has been a, an amazing shift for, for, for the industry. Um, it didn't actually have a negative impact on us because we were already delivering remote attendance training. So our modules and our programs were geared for it. What it did shift is the consumer you know, view on remote attendance training. So, you know, we've been able to deliver a lot more training on many more time zones um, without the cost of, you know, travel and, and sending people around, which has made us more flexible. It's given us much more flexibility um, to deliver that. So we have a, a large number of programs that we're um, rolling out in, in the next 18 months. Um, we're going to roll out some very small modular uh, we call them enhanced learning modules now because they will bolt on to our existing programs. Um, we're looking to develop um, some further uh, apprenticeships. So there is a network cabling apprenticeship. We're looking at uh, data center technician apprenticeship and um, and a couple of others. So that's working with industry to design the, the standard, which will be pretty exciting. Um, and, and, and then just to, you know, keep pushing the industry to be looking at you know itself and how we can engage with schools and colleges and and the hope is is that we can um, use the UTC and be part of that to roll that out to a couple of other locations in the UK and start to give give the industry and uh, and, and the UK sort of a platform to build on and start to understand data centres a little bit better. So it's going to be exciting times. We're we're growing rapidly. I'm spending more and more time doing inductions than I am anything else for people. Um, but it's pretty exciting, uh, you know, and, and we're looking forward to it. Yeah, well, it's, it's always a lot going on in our sector, isn't there? That's what that's what makes it so enjoyable, I think. Um, another point I wanted to touch on is I know that you're, you're really passionate about sector and I, I, I love the way that you question it as well. Like, like I guess like I do, you don't you don't accept the norm. You want to look for, you know, how can we improve? What is next? Why are we doing it that way? But what you're leaving a legacy, I guess, in the fact that you're training so many people in, into the industry. But what what is the legacy you'd like to leave when you look back on your career and, and see that training? Um, I, I, it's great because I have always, you know, said to everyone in this business, you know, this is about CNET leaving a legacy, you know, and and I'm I'm, I'm passionate about making the other training providers better, you know, setting a standard. It's not about competing and beating and things like that. It's there should be a minimum standard that we provide to the industry. But if I wanted to pick one thing, it would be that the industry has taken a look at itself. It's collaborating and it's not blowing smoke up itself all of the time. It started to say that we've got to do some boring stuff. We've got to set this up, but to collaborate and invest. You know, people make decisions about their careers unconsciously, you know, at the age of eight. You know, we're not geared up to influence those at the moment, but STEM networks are and things like that. So, so the legacy is about 
have we left the industry in a better place than we found it? And is it on the right pathway with regard to education, training and skills? And, and that's what we want to carry on doing and, and have at the core of what CNET is about. No, that would be a great legacy. And I, oh yeah, you're definitely doing it now, aren't you? So it's just a case of, I guess, continuous improvement, isn't it? You know, what can we do better tomorrow that we're doing today? Absolutely. And, and, and looking at, you know, what can we do? What simple little things can we do to help schools, colleges, the industry, government just work together? And sometimes, and I do say to these people, you know, we're in this industry wanting quick wins all of the time. It's bang, 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 bang. You can't change this. This is a 10 to 15 year project. You know, and as I mentioned, you know, I started the project on the UTC six years ago. I started the project on the network cabling installer apprenticeship five years ago, you know, and when you talk to people and say, right, I've got this project and it's going to take six years, people are like, well, I'm not interested in that. There's no quick wins. Well, if we all think like that, we're going to be having the same conversation in 10 years time and it will be worse because other industries are doing this better. Uh, definitely. And I think sometimes the sector and the industry is moving too fast to actually take a hard look at itself. And I think yeah. what it has done now in the last 18 months is take that hard look at itself and think, yeah. like you say, actually, if we don't do something now, there's a problem right now, quite a big problem in skills. If we don't do something now and you look at the pipeline, it's going to be un unattainable in yeah. 18, I mean, another I, 18 months. Yeah. I mean, I like, I like analogies of sport. You know, whether it's football or rugby, you know, the England football team was in complete disarray. So was English football before they decided to build St George's Park. And that St George's Park wasn't just one part. I was involved at the FA to, on a very small scale around that time. And everything was about the plan. Now, St George's Park was just the figurehead bit. Below it, grassroots football and all of that was invested in and coaches were improved, the training changed. And, you know, I'm not saying we're the best football team in the world because we're, we're not, but football is better. On all levels in the UK now, football is better and access to football is better for boys and girls and disability and all of that. And if you just look at that as a superficial, that's what we need to do. We need to have a grassroots review of what we're doing because it isn't any different to our industry. You know, we're talking about diversity, inclusion, recruitment, better quality facilities, and all of that is the same. So, you know, that's not a bad model to take a look at and say, that's what we need to do. And, and it, you know, you don't, you don't win the World Cup the day after you've done that. Oh, definitely. And it's a great analogy. And I think it's so important to learn from other sectors and other, other industries. And like you say, sport, whatever it is, you, you can learn so much that you can bring into your, your career from, from other, or other areas, basically. Before we close up, just a couple of quick fire questions, I guess, um, just to get your opinion. But 2022, obviously, we're what, 14th of January recording this. So early, early in the year. Any predictions for the sector this year? Um, further mergers and acquisitions, that's going to carry on. We've seen um, that already, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, we have, we have. Um, and I think there'll be a push on sustainability. I think that will start to become a core element. Um, I think that agenda has moved very, very quickly. Um, and I just hope that it's taken seriously and that we're actually doing some work and the marketing departments of various organisations resist the temptation to make outlandish claims that aren't backed up by fact and we actually start to do it that's what i think will i hope that happens in this year 
Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. And and finally, just one question that I ask everyone on the podcast, and you've given some great advice already, but if you could give one piece of advice to anyone looking to join the sector, what would it be? Um, not to exclude the supply chain. Look at the supply chain, because I think sometimes that's an easier way to start the industry, start your way into the industry. I definitely totally agree with that. Again, it's, um, it's some advice we, we give people that are looking to break into the sector. Uh, don't always look at the, the obvious, you know, have a look at other yeah. areas where you can, like you say, progress your career and work your way up. And, and obviously you can, you know, you can develop an excellent career in, in the supply chain as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Excellent. I really enjoyed that conversation. As I say, you know, I think you're very passionate about the sector. Clearly, you're doing some great things and, and you will leave a legacy. So it's just what that legacy is, I think, which is a, an excellent tick for anyone in their career. But I appreciate your time for coming on. I'm sure you're happy for anyone to reach out to you directly if they've got any questions or would be interested in, you know, working with you on some training and education. Yeah, absolutely, Andy. Thank you very much for your kind words. And yes, and if anyone wants to reach out to us, you know, even just from, you know, mainly on an educational side where we can, you know, partner with them, we can give them some content, whatever it might be from, from you know, schools, colleges and things, you know, we're, we're, we're willing to help and we want to. Yeah, definitely. And I'm sure we can, you know, do some more things together in the future to help keep spreading that message. But I'll leave you to your Friday. Go and enjoy the sunshine. We don't get much of it in the UK, so make the most of it. And, right. um, and we'll catch up again soon. Thank you, Andy. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you, everyone. Cheers, Andrew.